It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Watch Time, your weekly digest on everything gaming, behind the scenes, YouTube, all that fun stuff. My name is Muzelk. I am a YouTuber with a few million subscribers, <laughs> and I am here today with... My name is Grace. I'm the CEO of Click Management. We manage a bunch of the biggest YouTubers and streamers online. Um, and yeah, let's let's get into it. How was your week this week? Yeah, I'm, I'm learning how hard it is to uh, really kind of make sure I keep streaming every week because, I mean, obviously you you have the idea of streaming weekly on YouTube and it's not, it's not that crazy a concept, but then when you actually sit down and you need to do it and make the hours happen, especially on YouTube where, you know, it's not like on Twitch. On Twitch, when I streamed there, it was very much like, oh, I'll just like, you know, chat to my chat and just go live and mess around and play some games. And I don't really care if I have a hundred people watching or 5,000 people watching. Whereas on YouTube, because now it's hosted on my main kind of hub where mm. I do all my content, suddenly that pressure's way higher. I'm worrying <laughs> about what's my click-through rate? How many viewers am I gonna get? You know, yeah. making sure it reflects well on the content that's on my channel. Because it what's appears your thumbnail? in some boxes. Yeah, Are people I gonna to, get confused between the fact that it's a video or a stream? Yeah, YouTube, you need to really plan ahead. So you need to make sure you've got like a thumbnail for the stream, which means you need to have like an idea for what you're gonna do for that stream that people are gonna wanna click. It, yeah. It's just like, it's a lot less casual than streaming on other platforms, which is good in a lot of ways. It's just, I'm learning like, I need, to, I need to think ahead. Does it give you an appreciation for streamers given that you haven't done a huge amount of that before? Um, I think it's like, I, I enjoy it. I think that, you know, it's, I've always respected streamers. I think like, especially when I think about the fact that for me doing, you know, uh, I'll probably stream, you know, maybe like, 10 or 15 hours a week at the moment is probably roughly what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm like, oh, wow. Like this is like a big thing that I'm having to plan around. And then you think about like, you know, streamer streamers who will do like 10 hour, like fresh, fresh. Oh my who gosh. Will stream 10 to, who will stream 10 hours a day, almost every single day of the week. Actually, I think every single day of the week. And he he's done grinding. that almost without ever missing a day for a year. More. More yeah, than more a year than now. A year, almost two years now. Yeah. And that to me is crazy. Because for me, I, I get to like the six hour mark in a stream and I'm like, oh damn. Like, you <laughs> know, like, oh, we've really been, we've been going for a long one here. Yeah. And then, but then you just see people like Fresh and he just blasts through the whole time. Elliot will come out of his office, like for a bathroom break or a water break or something after like four or five hours. He's like, oh, you know, I've you been know? putting in the work, you Gotta know. Breathe. It's tough. <laughs> yeah. Cool. No, it's been a good week for me too. I think I'm really excited for the Australian Open this week. We've got basically our whole crew heading to Melbourne. So Fortnite is doing a massive um, solos competition and then a pro-am in trios, which is really exciting. Basically, everyone that we work with is taking part, which is fun. And, and doing those little trips is always so fun, whether it's to LA or Get Melbourne. Get the crew together. Yeah. Obviously, it's like a career where a lot of people are on their own a lot of the time. So any, any time that the whole gang can get together and do something is, is always a fun time. Very fun. Cool. All right. So let's jump into the first topic for today's ep. Um, we're going to talk about, so you would have seen a few days ago, YouTube announced that they acquired the rights for streaming for basically all of Activision Blizzard's titles. So Overwatch, Hearthstone, COD, and they're all going to be streaming exclusively on YouTube. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, in terms of esports, it's it's pretty much the single biggest acquisition they could have made because, I mean, you look at other titles like uh, Dota, CSGO, basically like Valve stuff, they don't really do, they don't have as much control over their IP as, as Blizzard and Activision do. Yeah. They're really the ones who have gone, been like, we're creating a league, you know, yeah. like similar to basketball style and yeah. you need to buy into this. And uh, I, I think it's, it's interesting because... 
I mean, once again, the numbers, I don't think for that one, the the numbers for that one weren't public. Elliot feels very passionately about esports as a general topic. So I feel like we're going to get into some juicy stuff. I'm not like passionate about it. I'm just confused by it because (laughs) I'm not so naive where I'm like, I, I am the only one who understands like everyone else is just insane. But a lot of the numbers behind esports really confuse me. Like, yeah. But but okay, quick rewind. I think what when Twitch because Twitch originally acquired the rights for the Overwatch League. The yes. COD League is new. I don't think they'd ever signed an exclusivity no. before. Uh, so in twenty eighteen, Twitch- yeah, in twenty eighteen, Twitch acquired the rights for the Overwatch League for two years in a deal that was rumored to be about ninety million US dollars, which is a yeah. shitload of money. <laughs> I and I I heard from a couple of. Uh, inside of people that it was a very, what is it? What's the term? 12th hour deal or 11th hour? 11th, 11th hour. hour. It was like down to the wire really? in terms of that happening. Well, but, but- I did think the timing was interesting this year as well, given that YouTube announced that their exclusive arrangement with COD came out literally hours before one of the first games went live. Yeah. So- I, I actually, I reckon that might not have been, oh, actually it could have been 11,000 similar to how the Overwatch League did it. Because the Overwatch League actually for his first uh, kind of inaugural games, they didn't stream on any platform. They streamed on the Overwatch League website. That's crazy. Which I think was them basically being like, look, if you don't pay, like we will- We don't need you. We, we don't need you. We'll do, the, <laughs> we'll do it ourselves. Um, but- yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. You know, you see that initial number, like 90 or 80 million they they paid for two years. And I guess now you're seeing the numbers come out around the other biggest streaming deals, mm. you know, stuff like what, what platforms are signing individual creators for. It's not as insane to me, I think, as it seemed back then, because, you know, the legal pool... Uh, 40,000 concurrent viewers on a lot of the time, you know, 100,000 if it's a big match. Uh, and, you know, if you think about that, that's about like numbers that someone like Ninja would pull. And, mm. you know, everyone kind of knows roughly what he'd be getting, which should be a pretty significant amount. Allegedly, Obviously they're paying more per viewer for something like the Overwatch League, but uh, it's not as crazy as it once seemed to me. What I want to know is how how intense the competition for those rights were. So did YouTube have to really invest in that and put up a huge deal? Or did Twitch not want it again? Like I wonder if Twitch really felt like it was worth it. But then again, I think it comes back to that conversation around with esports, I feel like everyone that's really investing in esports is playing a long game. I don't think anyone that's really getting into esports right now is expecting to recoup their investment in the first few years because you look at some of the rumoured deals for what the teams cost, um, which is like between 40 and $50 million apparently for some of those COD teams. I think I know the initial Overwatch teams were 20 and the new ones they just sold were 40 or 50 and plus, the COD teams were 40 or 50. Yeah, and then plus I think the licensing rights or the yeah. upkeep costs basically that you have to pay each year is like another 10. So it's intense. It's a big, big investment for, you know, these new leagues that don't haven't really built that super inherent value yet. Well, yeah. to rewind quickly to, to where you started that train of thought of did YouTube had to f- have to fight for them or did Twitch let them go? I reckon Twitch probably would have been okay with keeping them, but I think that they would have, YouTube would have been able to take the Overwatch League especially a lot easier than a lot of people think. Because here's the thing. I think Twitch, at least like from talking to, uh, who was it? I was talking to someone who owns one of the league teams or or works in the management for them. And he was saying that, uh, you know, Overwatch League was actually performing when they pitched it, when they pitched the franchise, they were saying that, you know, if it manages to pull 40 to 50K concurrent viewers, that would be considered a successful start to the league, which I think it is. But I think two interesting things, which is obviously the the concurrence that they've been pulling her around that. But I I think two interesting things. Number one, Overwatch is not holding its momentum. 
I don't no. know what it, it's that was always one of the biggest things that confused me about the game is that they were piling so many millions into keeping the Overwatch League going but they were really neglecting the core game. Like they were, the updates were pretty lackluster, especially when you put it next to something like Fortnite. Yeah. Uh, all the events were recycled every year. They really just like the core player base fell away, which obviously then has a big impact on the kind of viewership for the competitive side of the game. But the super interesting thing to me is those 40 and 50K concurrents you see are not real. And I think Twitch knows that. What do you mean? So, I mean, it's it's not even like really a secret. I think it's pretty well known is that- I'm playing dumb. I'm just trying to get you to explain yeah, it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. go on. Yeah, because I think I've talked to you about it before. Yes. Um, yeah, is that, uh, I mean, number one, you look at the chat room in a tournament and it is absolutely not moving, which once again, isn't totally unusual for a tournament. You don't get quite as active a chat as a, you know, individual who's streaming. Yeah. But- Basically, what seems to happen, uh, at least for, I reckon, 50% of the viewers of the Overwatch League, is basically to kind of inflate the numbers and make it look better on the kind of viewership side. Uh, what I've heard they do is basically buy sidebar ads on, a, on like a ton of different websites. So, you know, mm -hmm. like when you're scrolling down through a website and you see a little sidebar ad. Yep. Instead, what they do is they, they pay to have the Twitch stream as an ad in a bunch of different sidebars, oh. which long story short- Counts means, as a view? Yeah, counts as a view. So That's if crazy. you pay to have your little Twitch live stream on 20,000 you know, people who are browsing IGN, realistically, it's just muted in the sidebar. No one is watching it's that. It's not an but active Each of them counts viewer. as a unique active connection to Twitch and therefore a unique viewer. Wow. Which, Twitch you know, would have that info as well. Oh, absolutely have that info. And I think that it's- you know, it makes sense from the Overwatch League standpoint because they've got big sponsors, you know, they've got like car companies, they've got, you know, I, I'm actually not really keeping up to date with what the league sponsors are these days, but they're mainstream companies. Mm. So when you've got, you know, teams selling for 40 or 50 million and sponsors who I'm sure are putting in millions of dollars a year, I mean, the cost of buying, you know, an extra 20,000 viewers by putting uh, sidebar ads on a website yeah, is, is nothing. But obviously- Twitch has that backend info. Uh, they know that it's probably not pulling in the viewership they wanted it to and also that it's trending down. Mm. And I think that they would have, long story short, let it go much easier than most people would think. Yeah, that or I still feel like a lot of big brands and the owners of leagues and, and the streaming platforms that they're being broadcast on see the long-term inherent value in being aligned with the league. So it'd be really interesting to know the ins, ins and outs of how that deal goes. But one point you mentioned that I kind of want to touch on is the fact that there are so many big brands that are investing in these gaming leagues that are popping up, definitely for Overwatch and, and COD especially. And one thing I kind of want to get your thoughts on is – why that is because if you look at it based on viewership there is not that many views that are actually occurring in live esport viewership compared to say creator viewership especially when you compare the cost of that viewership right like sometimes like we'd see and this i think when we were talking about the fact that i get very uppity about esports <laughs> sometimes which don't get me wrong i love like I love the scene I, and I and I love uh, so many aspects of it and I want it to succeed more yeah. than anything. But it's just interesting when you work in kind of doing advertising in the gaming space, which obviously click management does, selling ads, getting sponsors, all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And there'll be a uh, like Australian tournament where McDonald's would literally come in. I think I remember one from about two years ago. McDonald's would literally come in and sponsor this tournament with what we know is about a six-figure or more investment. And then the tournament goes live and it has 30 concurrent viewers yeah. on Twitch. And you're just like, why? what What are you doing? 
And then you talk to the brand or you talk to people that are associated with the brand or something and the brand will say, look, we tried gaming and it didn't work for us. Yeah. And then that's that that's what would suck because then we would then go to a, the brand like McDonald's later and be like, hey, like you like obviously gaming space, super relevant for you guys. Like let's talk. And they're like, oh no, we did this one thing and we had a really negative experience yeah. and now we can't go near it anymore. And, and then just for like, us, it's so clear. Yeah. It feels like, of course that didn't work because you sponsored a tournament. People aren't necessarily invested in the tournament or the tournament sponsors. They're invested in the people. And I think that's something where gaming is just so valuable, but is also different to other sports. So traditional brands that might have sponsored traditional sports you can't, I don't think it works as well to sponsor gaming or gaming tournament in the same ways that you would other sports. Because I think with gaming, I think audiences have a really high bullshit radar and audiences are really pretty, like pretty aligned with what is a commercial sort of not traditional integration and what is. And I think a lot of people see those tournaments, they see the big commercial brands that basically slap their logo on, on you know, the title and that's about it. And I think people just don't engage with that. Whereas you see some incredible creators that do amazing brand integrations and the effects can be absolutely incredible because they're yeah. doing it in a way that's That they really know their authentic. audience will like because yeah. they know their audience, yeah. I, I think though it is, it is pretty... Uh, you know, I think from the experiences we've had with brands, though, it's pretty obvious why esports manages to pull so many of those, like the car companies, the McDonald's, because marketing agencies are so slow to do anything not that they're not familiar with. Long story mm. short, like if you're a marketing agency, like you're getting paid, if you're a guy in charge of the McDonald's marketing budget, right? I'm getting a hundred grand a year to spend their $10 million of marketing money. <laughs> I want... To, and, and if I can have a TV company come to me and say, hey, we'll give you 50, 30 second ads and we'll take $3 million of your budget. I'm like, beautiful. I literally just need to sign on this dotted line. <laughs> and I'm sure it's not this simple. I think but that's a my, little. Okay, it's probably not. It's, it's once again, not that simple. Yeah. But my point is that you want to go with what is safe, what is familiar, because if you, your boss is never going to chew you out for being like, oh my God, you bought TV ads. Yeah. You're insane. Because that's, even though I think these days TV ads are horrible value, from a existing company standpoint, you're never going to get chewed out for doing something like that. Yeah. Going into games is scary, but what esports offers is kind of a midway point yeah. where you can have these brands who are like, oh, gaming, that looks scary. I just see this kid screaming while playing Fortnite. I don't know, like, what, what do we do there? Whereas if you have a company be like, hey, you want to get inv involved in gaming? We do this tournament. Literally, think of it like the ads you put on cricket. We yeah. will give you 30-second so mid-roll spots. We'll have your logo in the bottom corner, just like on TV. And they're like, oh, okay. We've it's sponsored sports events before. This is just the gaming version of that. It's done by a company. It's very safe. We know that we're going to get exactly what they say. And yeah. it's very... and and Predictable. Because of that... Uh, yeah, I think uh, obviously they can charge a premium like those. I think it's safe and predictable. And at the moment, gaming is still in the infant stages of what I hope and expect it one day will be. But right now for marketing agencies and for big brands that have big budgets, they want to put their advertising dollars to somewhere that feels safe and predictable and that they know what the outcomes are going to be. Even if those outcomes aren't as good as perhaps if they took the risk on doing something that's a little more you know, organic to the actual industry. Yeah. But I think it'll be really, I'm really interested to see how it goes with eSports. E I'm interested to see what the viewership for the COD and Overwatch leagues in particular look like this year and and what the advertising stuff looks like. Yeah, it's going to be super interesting. I think COD League will actually do well. I think that was one where I don't enjoy watching it as much. I don't think it's configured as an eSport as much, but I think that the problem that Overwatch has is that it doesn't feel like a continual game. It feels like a game that very much had a spike and then now it's falling off. Yeah. Whereas Call of Duty is just always there. Yeah. Ever since I can remember picking up my first Xbox 360, <laughs> Call of Duty has been a thing and yeah. it has never not been a thing and it's always been big because they keep it going. It's just a staple of the games industry. 
And I think that you're going to see a lot of kind of consistency there. I don't know how high the viewership will be, but it will be consistent. And I think the Overwatch League really has to hope that some big stuff happens with that game over the next couple of years to give it momentum. Because, man, yeah. if I just paid $50 million for an Overwatch team right now, I would be not <laughs> happy. But hey, that's just me, the skeptic. So maybe there's some giant money pile that I'm not I seeing. Hope, I hope you're proved wrong in the future. I, I really do. Me too. <laughs> me, me too. All right. Getting into our next segment on the feed where we break down a couple topics that have been happening on your Twitter feed this week and look into those a little bit. The first one is the Shorty Awards were announced for 2020. Oh. So Shorty Awards are basically web awards that are generally going to social media people okay wow the skeptic we're is just like we're just I, we, all <laughs> these topics today incense me you've got like some esports <laughs> questionable topics you've got shorty awards but yeah sorry the, the continue your explanation in, the skeptic is in full force today so what i'm predicting elliot is skeptical about is that the Shorty Awards are similar to other esports awards or gaming awards or web awards in general where the voting or the nominees or the winners are decided based on a popular vote. And at a first glimpse, I think this seems like, or, you know, when I first was thinking about it, I was like, well, that seems fair. You know, that seems like a legitimate way to do it. It's, it's a popular vote. It's whoever gets the most amount of votes wins. That seems reflective of what it should be. But... I think what's really interesting is when you get into that a little bit, you realise that it's basically just a... I'm trying to think of a word apart from circle jerk, but I can't really think of another word, of of these organisations that basically ask the creators that are nominated... To promote their award and whoever promotes the award the most by telling their audience to go and vote for them wins. And you know how you know that it's such a... You know, like not like not real thing. I mean, sorry, let me start at the top of my list for why these awards are so <laughs> meaningless. Actually, you know what? Let me go all the way back and start before oh. the voting process. Number one. So they, they have a bunch of different categories like creator of the year, streamer of the year, group of the year. And they decide who those initial five are. And they always decide those five by people who they just, I think kind of gauge are probably most likely to promote it to their audience. You think? At, okay. Let me just go to the best creator of the year category. Okay. Don't get me wrong, like nothing against this person at all, but I'm pretty sure it was last year, Sniper Wolf won it. Like a, a big content creator, yes. Creator of the year, no. Am I creator of the year? Absolutely no. The fact that someone like Ninja, it was the year he had his biggest blow up. Like it was the year Ninja took over the yeah. world. He didn't win creator of the year because they knew that he was never going to promote something like the streamies. To, for people to go vote for him. Yeah. So, and to even rewind more, there's a category called uh, like best YouTube group, right? Mm -hmm. You know, he's in that category. You don't, you don't see click in that category. You don't see the sidemen. You don't see phase. You know who is in that category? Tell me. A couple that reacts to sidemen videos. What? Because they don't put actual people in. They put people who they think are just going to actually go out and promote their competition as much as they can. So they choose the initial nominees. They choose the initial nominees. And then the nominees ask people to vote for them. Yes, exactly. And here's the thing, and I'm 90% sure, I, I hope I'm not mixing up the awards here, but I'm 90% sure I'm right. Uh, it's not even like, hey, go and vote for me on this website and then you're good. It's like, you can vote up to 10 times a day, every yeah. single day for the next three or four months. Yeah. So the whole thing is that the creator who wants to win just has to tweet, hey guys, just a reminder to go put your daily vote in for me to go yeah. win. And then they're just sitting back like, oh yeah, all this website traffic that we're just getting. Think how much you normally have to pay a creator to promote going to your website. So true. And a they're lot. just like, oh, hey, we made this imaginary internet award. Now watch them all promote traffic to our website and our award that is complete. Like you look at the winners of every category. It's like, and the thing is internally, like obviously you have a creator who's a friend who wins. You're like, congrats. Like that's cool. But I know that I don't know a single person 
who yeah. takes those awards seriously. And I, I actually think that- know. I actually know a couple creators we work with that have been nominated for these awards in the past, and actually refuse to promote them or ask their audience to vote for them because they understand that process and they're like, I for one don't really care about the validation of getting an external award. They find their validation from you know, creating great content for their audience, which is what it's really all about anyway. And two, they realise that those awards are just asking people to promote their own awards. So it it doesn't really make sense, nor does it truly feel reflective of the person that, you know, perhaps has been the most creative that year or has put in the most work. There's just, there's no, there's no meaning behind it. It's just, Mm. it's, it's an award that, is basically just saying, hey, I promoted the voting page more than anyone else. Yeah. Like that that's ultimately what it comes down to. Long story yeah. short, these are supposed to be short. I could go on a <laughs> 30 minute rant about streamy awards and all those other things. If you're going to have an award, have a judge panel. Base yeah. it on actual criteria. Don't just make it a uh, like Popularity who's willing contest. to sell out as much traffic as they can to our website competition yeah. because that's just dumb. No one respects it. And if at the very first stage of even picking the people who are nominated, you make a complete joke out of that, like they obviously do, then, you know, it's it's it just ridiculous. Its, it loses its relevance. Exactly. It's like you, you completely take, like, and I think there's a lot of awards that do that, especially in the gaming industry mm. right now, where the credibility of, I think there's like one or two good game awards shows, but the vast majority of them will either sell the award or they'll do it by that popular vote method, or they just pick ones where you're like, that's so clearly, or, or like, you know, there's there, there was a certain award show that happened, which I actually don't want to go into too many specifics on, but it would have a category like uh, streamer of the year or YouTuber of the year. Mm-hmm. And this was a, it wasn't a, probably not as big a international one, but it would, it, they would have like someone like Laserbeam next to someone who literally has like barely posts, channel hasn't grown or, or something like that. And this Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Like, and not actually saying Laserbeam was nominated or whoever else was nominated, but they would just be like, oh, this person actually came to the award, whereas the big channel didn't. Yeah. So we're going to give it to that person. Yeah. And it's just like, as soon as you do that and, and you see and a category which you can mathematically and literally look at the data, look at the uh, the kind of what they've done in content, how they've innovated, the numbers behind them, the growth they've had. And it's just like, factually, mathematically, this person is head and shoulders like deserving of that award. And as soon as you don't give it to them, every award just completely goes out the window. And it's like, okay, well clearly this whole thing's just a joke. And to use the word circle jerk. (laughs) All right, moving on to the next one. Did you see that a new social media app was released uh, yesterday, I believe, called Byte? I've just seen people tweeting about signing up and like being like, oh, this is my app. Mm-hmm. I don't have time for another social media <laughs> unless it gets really big, in which case I definitely do. But right now I don't have time for another social media. So, so Byte was created by the co-founder of Vine. So it effectively sounds like another replica of Vine. It's the six second loop videos. Um, and with a couple changes, they've announced that they will have advertising. They will, they've announced that they will have a creator payment structure. Scheme. So at the moment for people that might not understand platforms like YouTube and Twitch pay their creators. They get a share of the ad revenue, which means that they're able to create content on that platform that earns them money. Platforms like TikTok and Instagram don't have that. So there's no inherent way to create money on Instagram or TikTok unless you're doing brand deals or something like that. Sponsored content. So, so this new app bite is saying that it will have a payment program for creators, which is really interesting. And honestly, that's what they need to do if they want to try and get creators who are currently on TikTok to, let's be real, not leave TikTok, but also post on Byte. 
you need to have those incentives. Yeah. But here's what's crazy to me about this whole thing. These like short clip apps. Talk to me, Elliot. Vine was huge. Took over the world. It went bankrupt. It physically could not exist. And it was essentially what TikTok is right now. What is it that meant that Byte went, sorry, that that uh, Vine went bankrupt and couldn't exist. And then TikTok rocks up a year later and suddenly it's like, oh yeah, they're one of the biggest companies in the world worth billions and they're doing fantastic. Just what- a little, little Chinese business we like to call Tencent. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? Like clearly the business yeah. model must have changed because if Vine physically couldn't continue to exist. And Vine was owned by Twitter. Exactly. What is different about TikTok and what has now made the person who had Vine that went bankrupt and ended up having to shut down, what has made him suddenly go, oh yeah, good, let's do it again. And he made bite. Clearly, because if you've had a business that didn't work, normally making an identical business, almost identical, two, three years later is not what you'd do. But clearly something must have changed there because he's back for round two. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's really interesting too. I still am perplexed how Vine died as quickly and suddenly as it did despite how many people it had because even though it was a platform that wasn't necessarily making money, the the reality is that there is a lot of room in the world now for companies that aren't necessarily profitable to survive. Uber is one of them. There are a number of social media apps that inherently in and of themselves are not profitable. Instagram didn't have ads on it for an, up until the last couple of years. So I'm surprised that despite the fact that it had commanded such a user base, it wasn't able to survive. But I just think it's, it's pretty, I, I find it interesting and quite exciting to be honest, that despite the fact that we're in a world that feels pretty saturated with different social media content apps, that people still think that there's room for more to succeed. You know, previously to last year even, I would have thought, okay, we've got YouTube for short-term, short short format video. We've got platforms like Netflix for longer format video. We've got Instagram for photo content. We've got Twitter for Twitter. We've got Facebook Twitter for, for the Twitter. old Twitter, that's people. a good way to put it. You know what I mean? And then TikTok blew the fuck up and had an insane last six months and commanded such a big user base. And, you know, I I actually had a meeting with um, a couple of the TikTok people when they came to Australia last, maybe March or April. Do you remember that? Mm. And I remember coming back and they were so passionate. They were so excited about this product they created. And I'll admit I was a little sceptical at the time. I thought, gosh, people just don't have time for another app. But Obviously, people do, and, and and TikTok's created a form of media that wasn't available on any other app and that people have really assigned a big value to. So I yeah. think it's really cool that even though we're in a world that has a lot of social media apps, people are still trying, and people are failing, like Casey Neistat's app that he tried to bring, it, bring out. What was that called? Beam. Beam. Yeah, that failed. I mean, I think that was just... Too similar. Think it like failed, and then he also sold it to CNN or for something lot, for a lot. Yeah, um, but it's I think like the actual core thing, you know, is no longer. Yeah. Um, and there was that other app that came out last year that was meant to be like the social media app of all social media apps, and I think that totally. Oh, where you pay like a subscription, but yeah. it has no ads and it doesn't steal your data, but. I don't know, that totally flopped. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens with this one. Obviously, the co-founder has an insane track record. Like Vine created some of the biggest social media people in the world that have been able to translate onto other platforms. So, David Dobrik, thank you. Yeah. Um, all right, let's jump into our second major topic for the day. And this is kind of a big one and it's one that's close to our hearts because we've had a bit of involvement in it. But... Uh, over the last couple of weeks, another content creator house was announced. It's called The Hype House. It has all your big oh, favourite TikTok. They've got such cringe names. I know, I but it I works. It. it works. They've the got like, clout gang. I think they've had over 100 million views on their TikTok videos already in the last two weeks. 
So what does that mean though? On TikTok, that doesn't mean anything. You've got Mully downstairs who did a, a, a song of him singing Bohemian Rhapsody in VR. That got 198 million views. It's great content. TikTok views don't make sense. No, he's deserved those 198 million views. God damn it. But like, my point is that like, I have a TikTok that has like 30 million views and it's me eating a banana while another banana watches me. I don't know what success means on TikTok. Is 100 million good? Okay, moving on. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> moving on. The Hype House holds, I think, six to eight of the biggest, the biggest TikTok stars in the world right now. But it sort of triggered an interesting thought for me because content creator houses are something that is not totally new, although new for TikTok. And it's something that we've had a pretty, you know, close relationship with given that we started the Click House about a year and a half ago now. And I thought it'd be a really interesting one to talk about in terms of what's the history of content creator houses, why do people do it, what are the pros, what are the cons, and ultimately if if they work or not. So maybe... I mean, tell us a little bit more about when the idea of a content creator house sort of came to you or when you sort of started thinking about that that was a possibility for yourself. I mean, like I've always I've always liked the vibe of content creator house. I mean, we can go more into detail later, but you know, I've, I've been to a lot of them. You know, I like before Click started, like I went and stayed with Vic at the Sideman house for, you know, a week or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, been to obviously the phase houses in the in the old Hollywood Hills and you know like I I also me personally have spent a lot of time you know it's not a gamer house but boarding school you know is <laughs> is not it's not too far off it though you know it's like yeah. living with a bunch of people your age like-minded doing the same thing somewhat like-minded you know comes with all the good and the bad mm-hmm. um but also I think just naturally I think the reason why you see them so much I mean I think it's twofold I think that it they, they definitely are a lot easier to understand around channels that do IRL content because yeah. I think obviously there you see something like the team 10 house it just it's it's obvious why it exists it's because literally you can get out of bed in the morning and you instantly have content you are surrounded by content you're surrounded by creators who know when a camera is pointed at them how to be entertaining how to like give you content on the spot yeah. whereas if you live by yourself you have to go out every day in search of content, yeah. you know, which is hard. Um, and I think that I think that when it comes to that IRL content, and also I'm guessing Vines as well. Oh, sorry, uh, TikToks. God, I'm getting all my, getting all my apps confused. <laughs> uh, but, you know, like the TikTok house, it makes sense for them as well because I'm sure that, you know, they can sit there, they can brainstorm ideas. They need someone to be in a TikTok and be really like emotive and do something specific. <laughs> they understand what they need to do, you yeah. know? Uh, whereas I think with... Um, with gamer houses, it's slightly it's slightly different, and I think that I think the that it's why you see a lot of gamer houses do that IRL content. You mm. know, Sidemen mainly a bunch of gamers, but because the house did IRL content, Phase. I don't think they initially took advantage of it as much, but they're definitely starting to now. Yeah. they're starting to do a lot more like hide and seek stuff with everyone in the group. Yeah, um, and obviously what we did with Click. I, I think though that you know one of the biggest motivators, and I think the big reason why the Click House started is because I, I mean like YouTube's a great job, but it's very solitary. Yeah. You can easily and I mean I I myself have done it for the space of a week and I know people like Fresh have literally not left the house for the space of like two months. Yeah. Like they you you can completely do your job and do your job well and literally move between two rooms, your bedroom and your study, or maybe you have them both in the same room and you don't have to leave one room. And then you, and you know, Uber eats all your food. Oh my God, um, I remember. So I also don't know if we've mentioned this on the podcast, but Elliot and I are also brother and sister. <laughs> yeah, we haven't mentioned that. I don't think so. But I remember when Elliot and I used to live together for a period of time and Elliot was sort of on the grind of YouTube. He was on the real come up. So that first and year or two. And I remember he had his setup in his bedroom and he would literally be in his bedroom probably 23 and a half hours a day, I reckon. And you would come out in 10 minute increments to grab food or go to the bathroom. 23 hours a day. I had to go get coffee in the morning. Go get coffee. But really, like, you didn't leave that room. You were constantly either making videos or editing or sometimes sleeping. It's the grind. It was the grind, but it was solitary. And you really like, 
you, you can totally lose perspective of everything else going on in the world. And I think to bring it back, that's why content creator houses can be really appealing as an idea because, you know, it is a solitary job. And so to be able to live with people that are like-minded and can relate um, is a really, really appealing idea. And then also, obviously, there's the massive benefits that come with being in an environment that allows you to collaborate and be part of a collective. And then suddenly, you know, you're not just a creator out on their own, you're part of something big. And so people that might find you through someone else in the group suddenly are also invested in you too. And that as a creator in 2020, I think is still one of the absolute fastest ways to grow. Making content with other people, being part of something that's just bigger than your own personal identity is really, really big. Yeah, I mean, to quickly stray, yeah, straight from the house topic, I guess, to the more like YouTuber group topic, which I feel like you could tackle as a whole other thing. But yeah, you know, you see some of the Sidemen guys or a lot of the Sidemen guys these days will make like one video a month or they'll literally go away for six months and not do anything, but then they come back and they post a video and it'll get like millions of views. The mm. only reason you can do that is because you're in a group. Most people like it sucks, but like you can have a lot of viewers, you can have a lot of fans who really, really like your content. You go away for six months like people forget about you they just do the internet moves too quickly whereas if you're in a group and you're still maintaining that presence there then people are like oh my god dude can't wait for him to make a video again they come back and it absolutely blows up yeah but back on the house topic yeah i definitely think the whole uh yeah kind of like living with like-minded people who are kind of moving at the same pace interested in the same things and i think even though obviously you're not doing irl content as much like um like what the, you know, like what you have in like a team 10 house. Uh, it, it's still good. You know, I could literally kick Cray's door down and be like, Cray, duos, now let's go. Yeah. And go like record a video, which YouTubers can be notoriously bad at. You'd be like, oh dude, we recording today. They'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then like, you're just sitting there waiting. Like, where are you? <laughs> and then you're just DMing them and they're not replying. You're like, what the hell? If Cray did that to me, I would literally go kick his door down and be like, oi, remember 4 p.m. You said, get on. <laughs> And then like go from there. Yeah. I think I think it also does serve the purpose. It does, you know, as cringy as the name is, create hype. Like I think Team 10 was probably one of the first groups to really do it in a big, big way. I mean, obviously Sidemen are OG and they've been doing it for ages. But I think Team 10 is one of the first groups that were purely doing that big vlog IRL yeah. content. They had one huge member in Jake Paul and they massively created a narrative for themselves. And I remember I was in LA a couple of years ago or something and, and was in West Hollywood where the original Team 10 house was and walked by this street and didn't realise what street I was walking by but noticed that there was literally 100 kids outside this house. And it was like 2pm on a Tuesday. And everyone was just there. Why weren't you in school, Jimmy? Everyone was waiting for someone to come out of the house and catch a glimpse of them. And that was massive. I don't think people had ever seen that level of celebrity that came yeah. with being a YouTuber. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's 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 crazy when you think about it. I think it's also interesting, like the different vibes that different houses have. Because yeah, like back to that whole thing where I, I've gone through a lot of them. You know, I've stayed at uh, Sideman Place, you know, like spent a lot of time at the Phase Place. Um and just in like every way, how different they are. You know, like when you go to the phase one, I can tell that they have, <coughs> I can tell that they have like a team behind them. You mm. know, they have people who are in charge of keeping things going, making sure the house is okay, making sure that like furniture got bought and that everything is like where it <laughs> should be. And also that they, that they, you know, are very like, you know, that LA culture of like, it's the flex, you know, you want to be able to have like, oh yeah, bro, come into my house and like, oh yeah, check this art on the wall. And I think people like Banks, definitely, he cares a like in a good way, he like, he cares a lot about the image image and also like, yeah, like he's really passionate though. Like I remember going through and it would be like, oh dude, like this art on the wall, they've got this crazy like foam art all through the house and Banks just loves the artist and it's like obsessed with it and it's everywhere, like way too much. I'm like, what the hell man? You've got like literally like 60 pieces from this one artist in your house. But um, but you know, you can tell that house has like got management behind it. Things are organized, things are clean, things are where they should be and things are, you know, like put together. Yeah. Then you like, transition that with like the um 
with the Sideman house. And it's like, once again, <laughs> actually really clean. Like one thing I would say that that house has on lock is they were really good with their, you know, like rules and people cleaning up after themselves. It was never messy. Mm. Um, but, you know, then you notice things that are missing. Like you're in this mansion that's probably worth like $20 million. <laughs> it is ginormous. It is huge. And you walk in and you're just like, there's no furniture in this entire thing. It's like I just walked into a freshly built house that's empty. They literally had, I think, a couple of stools in the kitchen. And, oh, and they had one couch with like a TV. Yeah, I don't know how many people watch the Simon videos. When you see them in that one room with the couch and the TV, that's like it. There is no more furniture. And you go up, oh, they have a gym at the top. Other than that though. It's like and the like, pure example of what happens when you get like six guys in their early 20s living in a share house, except the share house is really, really big. Yeah, there was like some storage rooms that were filled with I don't know what, just like random crap. But yeah, and you can just tell, it's one of those things. Amazing computer setups. Yeah, yeah. and then But then you go into people's rooms, which are where their PC setups are and where they like live essentially, because the rest of the house is more decorative. And you go in there and it's like an absolute setup, man. Like some of the best bedrooms you've ever been in, you know? <laughs> you've got these like, You've got these beds that have TVs coming out of them. You've got beautiful carpets and chairs and decorations with all the million subscriber plaques across the wall. And you're like, <coughs> <coughs> and you're like, oh wow, okay, that's like super set up. But you can really tell how much time is spent in the room versus outside. The common of it. areas, yeah. And I think the the craziest thing is just the 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 time zones that everyone lives in like you can because every youtuber kind of has a different thing you know like i remember when we were there like me like it would be a constant that like vic and me and like loki would all go to sleep at like the weirdest hours like it would be like staying up all night and going to sleep at like 8 a.m and then waking up at like four youtuber time youtuber time and then but then you know like someone like simon was on a, no a more like normal sleep schedule so like i'd get up and i would like barely ever see simon because simon's sleeping like a human being because he had a girlfriend <laughs> and then like jj would just like be in his room all the time would never come out unless it was to like get food like it's just so different. And then, you know, you look at the click house and the click house was like pre-furnished, which was huge. So like we actually had furniture and things in it. But the thing that we always struggled with was stuff like, you know, God, I feel like we was getting generic house chat, but like we did not have like cleaning and like people looking after their own mess nearly on as lock as a place like uh, the Sideman house. You yeah. know, if people ate at that house, they were like, it, it's going in the dishwasher. If you made like a protein shake before you go and work out, that bench is getting wiped down immediately. Like they were really on top of that. Mm. We never got in that habit and that <laughs> kitchen suffered it because really it did. was like, I couldn't walk into that kitchen once without just there being, you know, like powder all over, protein powder, uh, protein powder, like all <laughs> over the, the kitchen counters. Yeah. And like, you know, there would be like old yogurt things and it, it was crazy. And I'm, I'm sure I contributed to that as well. Cause I suck at putting stuff away. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think it's, you know, it's really interesting. I mean, it, it's a crazy concept, really the concept of creator houses. And I think there's so many pros. I think there are cons as well, though. I think Definitely. it can become really all consuming and mental health and gaming and all mental health and creators is something that we definitely want to like do a deep dive on in a future episode. But I think creator houses can really exemplify that in a way because while in one way it's really nice to be surrounded by like-minded people that understand what you do and you can relate to in a way that it is a difficult career to relate to if you don't do it. It can also be completely all-consuming and I think it's very easy to lose touch with the outside world when you're surrounded by other creators that are doing the same thing as you and it's really easy to just become obsessed by the numbers or obsessed with your performance relative to other people's and really feel like you're in an absolute bubble. Yeah, 100%. I, I think that it's, yeah, like you say, pros and cons and I think you can really tell uh, from like different people. I think that, you know, you see someone like Baz. 
Baz before he went into the click house when he lived alone versus like what he is now is like actually still very like actually hasn't changed that <laughs> much. But I but definitely there's been so many like positives that came out of it for him, you know, like Marcus, when we're in the click house, would just drag people to the gym. And then suddenly there became this like gym culture yeah. where now you had Cray and Baz who actually Cray might've done it a little bit before, but not nearly to the extent. And now absolute like going to the gym, dude, got to get my proteins for the day. Like got to, you know, oh my God, I, I can't wait. Like I'm lifting this new amount. Like, look at this. Like I look insane. And, and that's the kind of thing where if you're living alone and you're not like individually motivated to do that, yeah. It's, it's hard. You're not really going to, um, you're never really going to like develop those habits. Yeah. And when you live with people, like, I mean, it can also be the bad habits, which is the, you know, the risk, but a lot of other people's good habits can really rub off. Yeah. And, you know, I think most of the downsides are really just downsides that, you know, anyone living with anyone is always going to yeah. have like, oh, there's the messy guy. Oh, like, the, like this thing that this person does really irks me. And I think it's just making sure that, you know, you kind of nail those things down and don't let them spoil the overall kind of vibe. Yeah. All right, let's get into questions of the week. Who's going first, me or you? You, because I always go first, as in you ask me. Okay, my question for you that we received was, do you remember the first time that someone recognized you in real life? I actually don't. Oh, I remember doing a meetup when I was quite small though at uh, a park and like 30 or so people came and I was like, God damn, well, like, it's incredible. But no, I didn't really leave the house much back in the early days. So like <laughs> it was pretty was nowhere for people hard to for people to run into me, you know, <laughs> like if you don't go outside, people aren't going to see you. Um, and you know, that's not even a meme. That's, that's the genuine truth. I just didn't go outside. I don't <laughs> think people really saw me. Um, but yeah, I think that meetup I definitely remember. And and I and I do remember quite a bit if people notice me in public. Because um, mm. it's always kind of like a cool, even though like, you know, most of the time like if I go to like shopping center or, you know, basically if you, if, if you, if there are a group of teenagers, like 50, 50 odds, like someone's probably going to be like, hey, you know, like when we yeah. had the Australia Day party the other day, there was like a group of kids who were just crossing the road and like they spotted us all standing up there and just went bananas because we're on the balcony of the house. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't remember the first time, but it definitely would have been very flattering. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and yours is, what is the hardest part about your job? Gosh, I feel like all these questions I get are always so serious. I think the hardest part about my job is- Tell me about your childhood trauma. <laughs> I think the hardest part of the job is probably just balancing a lot of different people's priorities. You know, like I'm always thinking about the talent that I work with and what's best for them and what they want. I'm thinking about the brands that we work with and what's best for them and how they can get the best experience. I'm thinking about- um, our team and the people that we work with and how they're going and what's making them happy. So I think sometimes those things don't always line up in terms of what mm. everyone wants. It's not the same. Um, so getting that balance right for me is probably the hardest thing. But yeah. Yeah. Cool. Fair, fair, fair. All right. Well, I think that just about wraps it up for episode three. Episode three. Damn, we're on a roll right now. I mean, we're only three, three down. <laughs> 49 to go in a year. Um, let us know what you guys think. Let us know what more you want to see. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. Watch us on YouTube. We're Click on all the, the relevant buttons. Click all the relevant buttons. And we will see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.